Welcome back to the Cohort 21 face-to-face session. This is part two of a short series on the podcast chatting with teachers who are actively engaging in the design thinking process to improve one aspect of their practice. I'm your host, Celeste Kirsch, and we are teaching tomorrow. If you've never heard of Cohort 21, it's essentially a community of teachers in and around the province of Ontario who are gathering together four times a year to plan, refine, and execute action research in their classrooms to improve teaching and learning. I love getting to record conversations with teachers about their journeys with Cohort 21, as I see this professional development as a kind of incubator for educational innovation. If you don't have access to the Cohort 21 experience, I actually wrote an article on how you can emulate this kind of PD in your own backyard, and I've linked to it in the show notes. Today, I talked to Jen Barros, a middle school French teacher who wants to help her students embrace the ambiguity, uncertainty, and gray area of oral communication in another language. Like our guest last week, Mary Ellen Wilcox, Jen hopes to instill in her students a sense of confidence, especially as they try to do something that is actually really hard and they might not be good at yet. Mary Ellen and Jen are both middle school teachers, so questions relating to building confidence at this developmental stage of children, I don't think is a coincidence. Let's get right to it. Here is my conversation with Jen Barrows. Thank you for deciding to be recorded for the podcast today. <laughs> You're welcome. So let's start just with a warm up. Do you want to tell everyone who you are, where you're from, and what you do? So my name is Jennifer Barrows, and I currently teach grades six, seven, and eight core French at Montcrest School in Toronto. And I'm also a grade eight homeroom teacher. Mm-hmm. And because which is the way our system works in grade seven and eight, our homeroom teachers meet our kids in the morning and then we're kind of their person if they need something throughout the day and we check in with them again at the end of the day and I teach my homeroom students French as a second language. How many people do you have in your homeroom group? This year I have 11 because we've actually moved to having more homeroom teachers in grade seven and eight with less students in each of our homerooms. So where previously I might have had 16, 17, or 18 with there only being three homeroom teachers for the grade. Mm-hmm. Now there's five homeroom teachers for the grade, and we each have about 11 students. I love that. Our middle school actually adopted a really similar model two years ago, and it's been really awesome. Yeah, it's been really nice. And so for some of our, just because of classroom space, but it's also really kind of nice socially for the students, two of the homerooms will meet together in the same learning space. Okay. Um, and so there's 22 students in the room. But they have their and, person. But they have their person. And so both adults are in the room too. Both teachers yeah. are in the room. And it kind of is a good balance. That's lovely. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's start with your questions because okay. this whole day at Cohort 21 has been about coming up with how might we questions. That questions start with that phrase, how might we. Um, so why don't you walk me through a couple of your big how might we, how might we questions that you've written down for today. Okay, so my first one was how might we redesign our lessons to include more oral communication, and then I even pondered maybe more spontaneous oral mm. communication because they're not the same. And then a second question I had was, how might we marry the AIM language learning program and the Odyssey program that we're currently using to best balance written and oral communication? So Odyssey and AIM language learning are the two kind of main 
jumping off points that we have for our French as a Second Language program at Montcrest. And we currently use AIM in our primary and junior grades. And for a long time, we were also using it in our middle school grades. And a few years ago, we just kind of noticed that they were kind of having AIM fatigue. <laughs> and that, like, so AIM is really wonderful and has a really beautiful philosophy of prioritizing oral communication. And they use theater and dance and song and mm. gesturing to really help build oral fluency. Um, but the structure kind of of each module is very similar. Mm -hmm. And so by the time the students were getting to grades six, seven, eight, they were like, okay, another play, another this, another that. And so I was asked to really kind of look at that and what are the other options for us out there. And it was really interesting timing because it was right around the time that the Ontario curriculum for French as a second language changed throughout the province. Mm. And so I think there were a lot of teachers having this wonderment of where do we go next because what we were doing isn't really feeling good or successful. And so throughout that exploration, I came across this new program called Odyssey from CEC Publishing, which um, we adopted for our grade seven and eight students and has been really, really wonderful in lots of ways. The writing is really great. The cultural pieces are really fantastic. I find the themes are really meaningful to students who are 12, 13, 14. Mm -hmm. um, however, what I've noticed over the past few years is that the oral communication piece is not as strong, and I really miss some elements from AIM because of that. So that was one of my questions, like how do I kind of marry these two programs, or what can I take from AIM that they weren't tired with and that really, that the students weren't tired with or that felt good and kind of still incorporate that into my program now. And then my very last question I've kind of wondered this morning was, how might we increase student confidence and competence mm. with respect to oral communication in the FSL classroom? With those two different programs that you were naming, do you see um, that they have strengths or challenges around developing that confidence? Like, do you see one program really like works well for that, and another program you don't see that? Like, I think that with IDCA, there's a lot of metacognition built into the program, which is really nice because students can kind of reflect back on what was I feeling successful at and where's kind of my next step. Um, that I didn't find as much naturally in the AIM program the way I was using it. So I really love that piece. Um, so I think we were kind of all on the same page about that. And the activities we did this morning really helped me kind of think about why is this where we're at? Yeah. And I don't, I don't think it's just because of a program change. No, it, that's probably the hardest thing for any French teacher is to get authentic speaking opportunities. Yeah, it's really, it's really tough. And so um, what I discovered in, in kind of the, my thinking this morning is that I think a big part of it has to do with their confidence level in that I think they really see themselves as either someone who can speak French or someone who can't. Mm. And it's really hard for them to see things not in black and white. And that there's this whole gray area that like we live in and that's where all the growth happens. Mm -hmm. And so I really, that was a surprise to me this morning actually to kind of think, um, think of it through that lens in that this oral communication dilemma might be connected to that yeah. and um, helping them kind of recognize what can you do and uh, and where can you move next and that everybody can do something so yeah. helping them recognize that I think is a really big next step for me because um, you're right it doesn't matter what program you're looking at this is going to be a universal issue in every French class that you ever teach 
Yeah, for sure. Um, so I think my next step will really be thinking about like, what can I do in my class to kind of help students figure that out? Mm-hmm. I don't know the answer to that yet. Yeah, <laughs> so we'll see. Great to not know the answer. Yeah, we'll see where uh. that goes. Logistically, I have, or practically, I have a few ideas um, of where I can go in terms of increasing oral communication activities and learning activities in our classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm excited about some of those ideas as well. I know that I'm going to go visit a teacher in Ottawa mm. next month that I know of who, he still uses the AIM program in his seven and eight classes, and he actually went deskless in his classroom Ooh, this year. That's bold. It is. And so he says, he kind of just says to other teachers that for him, French as a second language is about oral communication Mm -hmm. and his priority is oral communication and having students leave his class feeling confident, feeling like confident speakers. Mm -hmm. And so that's really interesting to me. And he kind of maintains that his probably has about 75, 80% of his class is oral communication. And, which is awesome. And I don't know that I would ever go deskless, mm-hmm. but I'm really excited to go watch him teach yeah. and kind of see what can I pull out of here and, st- and bring back mm-hmm. to my class that fits with the philosophy of our school and, um, and see what that might look like by I'm the end of the year. I'm so excited to hear about that. So you'll be at the next face-to-face in yes, January. absolutely. Perfect. So we will capture yeah, a conversation. Stay tuned. <laughs> I know. That's the best part about this. So we'll, uh, we'll follow up on that and see how your questions have changed because mm-hmm. I think like what I noticed from the outside to other people's questions is sometimes we design a question with the solution in mind yeah. and we're like, oh, I think I know how to solve this problem. How might we use this program effectively? And it's like right. the question might be even deeper than we could have known until we get in there. And yeah. And that's definitely what I noticed this morning for sure. Yeah. I, I think every how might we question that I've started um, every single year is like, oh, how might I solve this problem that I think yeah. I know the answer to? And I am always amazed at how much bigger I can make the question. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I can't wait to talk to you again. Thanks for chatting. Thanks, Celeste. One aspect of Jen's practice that is clear to me when re-listening to this recording is that Jen is modeling for her students exactly the kind of learning that she hopes to inspire in her classroom. She is fully embracing that gray area of not quite knowing something. This is basically what I was trying to say at the end of our conversation. When we ask a question that we truly don't know the answer to, it's a little scary. I think this is why even as adults who are trying to design action research in our classrooms, that we gravitate towards the safe questions that already have the solution in mind. When we ask questions that we genuinely don't know the answer to, We acknowledge that we don't know something. And I think this is often outside of the wheelhouse that we have as teachers. I can only speak for myself, but I definitely gravitated towards this profession because I liked being a student and I liked getting things right. This following segment of conversation with Jen happens about two months later. Listen to how her thinking evolves and shifts as she investigates her dilemma a little more closely. Jen is willing to let her learning shift the question she is asking and embrace that beautiful messiness that is learning. Okay, welcome again. Great to see you and have you back in the, uh, I want to see the office, but we're in this little tiny kind of recording studio. It does feel like a recording studio. It feels really intimate. I love it. So thanks for joining me again. Thank you. Um, Why don't we start, Jen, just by refreshing everyone with what your how might we question has evolved into since we last chatted in November. So... 
last time we chatted, I was really looking at student competence and confidence with oral communication and my how might we question kind of had that language in it. And then right after we had chatted, we had this really wonderful afternoon where we really dived even further into the design thinking and building our action plans. And I had this really wonderful moment where a science teacher said to me, well, why wouldn't, why don't you try oral language portfolios in your classroom? Mm. And I was like, wow, that's so amazing because I sincerely believe there's so much power in having my grade eight students who are so in a space where they're so unconfident about so many things in their lives. <laughs> I was literally just talking about that with Mary Ellen Wilcox, so yes. Um, and say, well, and they're just feeling so down on themselves a lot of the time. And French as a second language is a really easy classroom where that mm -hmm. can, feeling can feel really strong. And so the idea of having them go back and listen to yourself when you were in grade seven and listen to yourself when you were in grade six and, and you can do things and, um, and see your growth and, mm -hmm. and have that. I was just like, that's such a powerful tool. That's so cool. And the fact that a science teacher gave it to me just sent me down this really interesting thinking path mm -hmm. about oral language portfolios. Um, but what happened was that I had this really wonderful visit with Richard Smith in Ottawa. Yeah, which no was, desks. Which, he has no desks. Um, and it was, it's really, he has stools set up, he has small groups. Um, each small group of, each small group of three has like a bin, essentially. Yeah, like a little in, box. Like a little a... box. And um, inside that box, there are pencils and small whiteboards for when they do their writing. Um, and their like folders or whatever uh -huh. they're doing their work on and he has each class color-coded so they know who belongs to who and mm. um, he has whiteboards up posted around his larger ones yeah. around his room and I think there are ten and they're pretty large and so each group of three can go to their whiteboard when they're doing some writing activities mm. and they can talk about their learning and their work together as they're standing at this whiteboard um, and so that's kind of how he does a lot of his writing. Um, and so after I spent my day with him, which was amazing, I just really realized that this idea of language portfolios is so awesome, but it's a huge pivot from where I started, mm -hmm. which is that I wanted my students speaking to each other. Authentically and spontaneously exactly. and just talking. And the idea of it being really interactive. My students, I feel, do a really wonderful job of they'll work on a project and we work, build language skills and they build their vocabulary and they share that work in different ways at the end of our module. Mm -hmm. But it's very rehearsed yeah. in the end and they do a great job of it. Uh -huh. But that And that's one type of communication. But what I've realized, what's missing is the interactive piece and how do they interact with each other that's a different type of communication right and that's what Richard is doing really well in his classroom and what I really gleaned from him were lots of resources and activities and to do to kind of encourage that in the classroom and so afterwards I was reflecting and I was just thinking I have gone down this rabbit hole of oral language portfolios but I think I've too far from my starting point and I still really value my starting point mm -hmm. and I think that's what made me think of changing my how might we question yeah. to kind of refining it and making it smaller yeah. and I still see a lot of value in exploring the idea of language portfolios but 
a, a di at a different time. Not now. Yeah. Yeah. So I changed my how might we question to how might we support our students while increasing interactive oral communication in the French as a second language classroom. And that's actually much more precise than what you were playing with I before, think so. because it actually, it's not that it's precise and that you already have a solution in mind, but it's precise in that you're going to get to say no to other things. Yes. And I think that that has really helped me focus on this is what I'm, this is my goal because we only, I mean, it's January <laughs> and the school year ends in June and I wanted to think about what can I reasonably feel good about getting done in the next six months. Yeah, thinking backwards design, thinking with the end in mind. Like, what do you need to do so that you can look back on this year of learning and be like, yeah, I did something. I have something to show for it. Right. And what I really struggled with over the holidays was, is just tweaking my program and pivoting certain language activities in my program enough? Enough for what, though? I know. Dad? And like, so then you... I had this really, so I put this call out on Twitter over, over in the middle of the holidays thinking, I want to change my how might we question. Is it too late? And Laura Mustard um, sent me a message that she's like, absolutely not. Let's chat. And one of the things I told her is that I kind of had this pressure on myself from mm -hmm. nobody other than myself that I had to have a thing at the end of cohort 21 and a mm -hmm. thing to show people that like, man, look at me and look at what I did. And this is how I see it's, it was valuable that I did cohort 21 and, mm -hmm. and, um, that this year wasn't, a, I didn't want anyone to think I was just floating through yeah. kind of, um, and doing something I could have done at, without all of these wonderful mm -hmm. people around me. And, and so I thought I needed to have this thing I could show a and product? prove. Like yeah, a, I don't know. Yeah. Like, and I thought, wow, oral language portfolios would be such a cool thing to be like, this mm -hmm. is what I did. Um, and so Laura was so wonderful in saying that you don't need to, just as you did, like what you're talking about or what I was talking about, but I want to shift the interactive communication in my classroom. She's like, that is a, totally enough. And, um, and so it was just nice to have, I need, for some, I felt like I needed someone to give me that permission to yeah. have that be enough. Well, I think and as <laughs> teachers, we often are like wanting that kind of, um, I don't want to say validation, but we want to make sure we're on the right track. Like we're teachers yeah. because we like learning and we want to make sure that we're doing the right thing and that we're not falling too far off the wayside. So I totally get that. Right. But your thing can be small. Like, I think that there, there is something really valuable about wanting to have some evidence of learning. Like, right. I know that as schools are investing in us as teachers to yeah. do this kind of learning, it is really noble to want to go back to the people that sent you and say, hey, this is what I did this year. Yeah. But it might be something really subtle and small. Like, I shifted this part of my pedagogy so that now we're writing less and we're talking more and this is how we're doing it. Yeah, and that's exactly, I think, where the path I'm on now and that's where I feel my students definitely need their most focus right now mm -hmm. and um, where all of the work I've done so far in my action plan has really lent itself to that and I want to stay on that path. Mm -hmm. And then maybe next year we'll look at oral language portfolios and see what happens in that direction. Next later. year when you're obviously going to be a coach. I know. For Maybe, hopefully. Yeah. I'm, I definitely love it. I was telling Justin I have very much encouraged a lot of our faculty at Montcrest to, to take advantage of Cohort 21 because I have nothing but wonderful things to say. Everyone is yeah. so kind and supportive and, and the fact that Laura called me on one of her days oh. off. We just had a conversation Love for half an hour. Like it was just so, everyone is so lovely and the yeah. learning is so strong and, and it's so inspiring to mm -hmm. hear 
whenever anyone is speaking, I'm just in awe of the really powerful educators in the room and I feel like I'm growing a lot. Well, I mean, I want to say like, I can't wait to see like where you end up, but I think when we talk again in April at the last face-to-face, like it's not an ending up, it's just like where you happen to be at that moment in time. Yeah, and I think that's where I needed to shift my own thinking, is that I don't have to end up anywhere in April. No. In one spot, and that I can say exactly like you said, this is where I'm at now. Mm-hmm. And um, and there are definitely are changes and and shifting in my classroom, um, but it's it's more subtle, I think, yeah. but just as powerful, I hope. Thank you. Welcome. This is the thing about teaching, it is tangled endlessly complex and our learning as teachers doesn't end just because we finished a unit a project a semester or a year i loved jen's grappling with how she knows that her end isn't going to naturally coincide with the final face-to-face session for cohort 21 and this is exactly how real learning looks it reminds me of when i participated in the klingenstein summer institute The head of food services at the Lawrenceville School in New Jersey spoke to our whole group about the process of improvement. This man ran an incredible kitchen that produced incredible meals that would have made many restaurants blush. His takeaway message was just be 1% better than you were before. Those small incremental improvements add up, and after you've been at your practice for 10, 15, 20 years, you might have made drastic improvements but only because they built on each other over time. So for anyone listening that is engaging actively in their own improvement as a teacher, whether through Cohort 21, another PD group, or through your own self-driven inquiry, my advice for my conversation with Jen Barros is to just be a little better than before and allow yourself to go slow. That's all the time we have for today, folks. Keep slowly getting better, and remember, we are teaching tomorrow.